Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When Charles Hawhey became Taoiseach in December 1979, unemployment levels were at their lowest for several years. But then came the international economic recession, spiralling oil prices and high inflation. The effect on industry was profound. The dole queues lengthened daily as unemployment increased by 46% in 18 months, and the queues will grow longer still. Fast forward over four decades and Ireland is staring down the barrel of possibly one of the worst fuel shortages ever. We are, in my view, in the first global energy crisis. And it looks like that this uh, crisis may be with us for some time to come. Energy prices look to be only heading in one direction, and that's up. People in Singapore are paying over $8 a gallon for gasoline today. People in Germany are paying over $8 a gallon. People in the UK are paying over $6 a gallon. So this is happening all across the world. Experts around the world are expressing concerns about what lies ahead. We could be heading for what he called a parabolic shock, which is basically where oil prices, which have been going up, would all of a sudden take a massive spike and go up much further. The growing energy crisis has forced the government to devise a doomsday fuel plan that pushes ordinary motorists to the back of the queue. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today on the Indo-Daily, we examine the government's oil emergency allocation scheme that looks at rationing energy usage across the country at key dates over the coming nine months. Joining me is Ivan Murray, Western correspondent with the Irish Independent, and Richard Kern, columnist with the Irish and Sunday Independent and presenter of the business on RTE Radio 1. Ivan, you've been writing in the Irish Independent about confidential details of an emergency planning exercise held in the last few weeks. And that involved all of the the relevant major state agencies and and government departments. So can you tell me who met and and what are their concerns here about about fuel supplies? The idea that we'd be running out of fuel, that Ireland would be in a position where we have to have these kind of strategic plans in place, um, was just complete, would be completely alien to us a couple of years ago. But I suppose the reality of what's happened with the war in Ukraine has, you know, brought these kind of issues to the fore and 
in March of this year, the Department of Environment activated its oil security subgroup, and that involves the Department um, of the Environment, Climate and Communications, the Department of Transport, uh, NORA, which is the National Oil Reserve Agency. And part of the subgroup would be kind of key industry figures. So they'd be maybe um, representatives from Hauliers Group and Fuse for Ireland. Their aim is to monitor the oil markets and advise on contingency planning if, if and when there is a major shock to supply. Sounds a bit like a nefit for oil, basically, <laughs> if, if, yeah, without, like without wanting to concern people too much or find a new job for Dr. Tony Olin. Oh, tell, <laughs> tell me then, what is the oil emergency allocation scheme? This is kind of the scary part, I suppose, when you hear things like this. This is the oil emergency allocation scheme. It operates under the oil emergency response plan, which has been, in, which has always been in place. That is the scheme that would kick into place if fuel stocks in Ireland run dangerously low. And a situation like that would see where we could lose 30 to 35% of our supply, which would cause a huge national emergency. In the circumstances where the scheme is activated, that would mean that fuel would have to be rationed and would only go to the essential services, basically just to maintain societal function. In the event of a national fuel crisis, so what are these emergency contingency measures that are that are being discussed? On May 26th, there was a meeting um, for the National Emergency Coordination Group. They did go through three scenarios. I suppose they're hypothetical, but they're also frightening if you actually go through it. I mean, scenario one, they're planning for September. And this would be after months of kind of lower supply coming through to Ireland, but it was always maintained. Um, to a degree that, you know, there was no limits placed on people. There was just general advice where people were asked to reduce their uh, fuel consumption, um, asked to take public transport where possible and asked to, if possible, work from home several days a week. But there's no actual laws in place at this point. That, that scenario one then, September, it's back to school time, industry yeah. cranks back up after people are being on, on holidays for the summer, the, the construction sector gets back and running, farmers are coming off the, the, the tail end of, of, of harvesting. So quite a busy period around the country as we, we you know kick in for a, a new school calendar year as such. Absolutely. And so the big problem here would be and this is a kind of what's feared most, is that a 20% drop in demand, that would lead to fuel stockouts. I mean, if you and I, I suppose, we, uh, you know, I think you're a reasonable person, I think. But if I heard there was a fuel shortage, I would go straight, straight away and refuel. I would fill up my car. I'd ask, get, get my husband to fill up his car. So this, like the, the idea that constraints would be placed on people, it would result in panic buying and there'd be immediate shock to the markets. And, and that is what, what's referred to as a fuel stock out then, is it? Yes, yeah. There would be just a fuel stations running dry, even at just 20%. Even in the short term, that kind of a panic situation, you would have trouble stocking even emergency services and um, essential workers. You know, everybody would be in trouble in that scenario. And that's only 20%. And then scenario two, how what, what what's that as we crank up the, the scale? We're moving on now to December. At this point, this is where the emergency oil allocation scheme is activated. It's in scenario two. And this is when there would be up to 35% um, drop in um, supply. And you're into December now. It's it's Christmas period. People are are 
predominantly at home, so they're heating their houses quite a lot, but they're also traveling around a fair bit. So you have a lot of you have a lot of kind of Christmas visiting traffic uh, on on the road, busy time in and out of of, of cities and towns as a result of, of of Christmas shopping and and so on. So it's it's very much consumer driven demand. So it's at this point that fuel rationing would kick in. This is when it's very, very serious. We're looking at a 35% drop in supply. So the oil emergency allocation scheme is now activated. That's where emergency services and critical services are prioritised. And ordinary motorists really are at the back of the queue. Ordinary motorists motorists making non-essential journeys are absolutely at the back of the queue. Um, So the system which it operates under, um, there's four tiers. And number one would be um, emergency services critical workers. So you'd have your ambulances, um, Gardaí, and then doctors, nurses. From tier one to tier four, in between then would be um, essential workers, maybe like me and you, you know, journalists and things like that. It goes on and on and then lastly motorists. Um, and, and so very similar to that to that COVID lockdown, again, prioritisation of, of people that we were seeing in terms of movement. In, in this case, it would literally be movement. Your ability to move around would be based upon what what profession you were in. Yes. Well, to drive, yeah. To drive, I mean, be, yeah. I mean, um, they'd very much encourage public transport at this point. I suppose a big thing here would be within the oil emergency allocation scheme, there's um, a critical service station scheme. There's only about 100 critical service station schemes in Ireland. The big one in each town or... Um, and they, in that scenario, would be the only ones that would have fuel. So you're talking 100 across the entire country. Yeah. They are the only ones that are going to have petrol at that point. So anybody within that region is going to have to go to that that central location. Yeah. We're also seeing at this point that even who can go and get petrol on what days is affected. This is quite extreme at this point. Um they would need a guard, by the way, on duty at every service station. And that person, they have to be an agent of the state, would decide if you qualify to buy fuel on that day. And then how do we determine who's allowed to pull up to the petrol station that day? People can only fuel on certain days of the week. Um, the way that is even and odd numbers on the last number on your uh, registration. So if you have an even number, you could fuel on Monday, Wednesday and Friday and an uneven on uh, Tuesday, Thursday and a Saturday. So so literally my my license number finishes with a five so I can only turn up on the, on the odd days and yours ends in a two therefore you can only turn up on on, on other days. So it, it it's literally that that regimented and and we're we're still not at the worst scenario at this point. Tell no. me tell me about scenario three then. This is sort of a doomsday scenario. This would be in a situation where it's not so much oil, it's a uh, gas, where the gas supply to Europe has been severely affected. Um, so there's major sources in Central Europe and at that time um, all contracts, all Ireland's gas contracts um, would become force majeure in that we would have to renegotiate them. We're an island nation on the periphery of Europe, you know, and it's, it would be quite difficult for us to maintain our supply. Insufficient gas would be coming in through our UK internet connectors and this would be going on for a matter like for up to 10 days. This is the scenario that they were asked to discuss. And at this point, it's really affecting power generation. So you're talking about rolling blackouts. 
it's horrific to think about. Um, so at this point, when you don't have enough gas, you're left with decision. Do we power the power stations with uh, oil? So you'd have to convert from gas to oil. And in those circumstances, you're actually, who do you prioritise? Do you, when it's got so extreme, take the oil from farmers and put it to power generation? Or do you leave the um, oil with farmers so they can uh, provide food? It's that stark. It could happen, you know. Richard Kern, talking to Ivan Murray there about the doomsday scenarios that government is is planning for in the albeit unlikely event uh, of shortages kicking in. Are we the only ones adopting such a, a pessimistic view or are other European countries uh, putting fuel contingency plans in place? No, um, most of the countries from what we can gather have been doing it and uh, they, they divided it up into, in ordinary times, if you forget about this crisis, they divided it up into gas supply and oil supply. And one of the uh, documents that I came across, uh, Finon, was the 2018 to 2022 National Gas Supply Emergency Plan, which was actually devised as part of a European project. So all countries do that, that in the event of something going wrong, what will we do and how will it work? And up until now, a document like that uh, would have been part of the great unread. Uh, but obviously, it has to be updated for, for the current situation. So. Countries have been, EU countries have been forced to think about this in a hypothetical way anyway. But that doesn't mean that all of the real nuts and bolts decisions are in those plans. It's more like a, we'll have a NEFIS type setup, we'll have an early warning system, and then we'll decide who to prioritize in the event of shortages. So other countries are doing it. The Germans published theirs, and they were going to favor households over large industry. Big business there was not happy about it. BASF, one of the big chemical makers, for example, said, we have you know 40,000 employees in a couple of large plants. They'd all have to go on to short time uh, or some of them be let go. But they just published it and they basically got on with it. And big business is now trying to figure out how they would navigate that sort of plan. One interesting one, Finon, is um, Austria. They, in their plan, they said that big business and big users of gas, for example, if there was a shortage, could avoid some of the rationing if they agree to stock up and buy up to half a year's supply in advance. So in other words, if they spend money now buying more gas than they need and they use the state storage facilities, then they, they would and could avoid um, some sort of rationing as, as big businesses if it came to it. So there, there's interesting variations, but by and large, EU countries uh, were are, are supposed to come up with these plans anyway in the event of an emergency. How likely do you think, as of now, are we going to see fuel rationing, be it petrol at the at the gas station, um, be it electricity supplies, gas supplies in households this winter? Well, it's a bit like Jerry Murphy in, in Met Aaron, because when it comes to economic forecasting, the same as weather forecasting, the further out you go, the less you know clear the picture is. And what they do there is they look at all the factors and the way things appear to be shaping up. And then they have a computer program in the Met office that says, uh, we think it'll be this. There's no computer program for a situation like this. So individuals have to just make their own assessment. But the assessments that are coming out now are getting more and more pessimistic. For example, I was reading there only this morning 
one of the, the chief executive of one of the big uh, oil um, and utility der- derivatives and trading companies said that he thinks we could be heading for what he called a parabolic shock, which is basically where oil prices, which have been going up, would all of a sudden take a massive spike and go up much further. Uh, Jamie Dimon, the head of JP Morgan Worldwide, is of the view that what he said is that there's a massive hurricane coming. He thinks that oil prices could go to $175. Now, it's one thing for countries to try and cope with those very high prices, but it's another thing further to be actual shortages. And I think that really depends on how the transition in Europe away from Russian gas and oil plays out. And if you look at the rate of dependency, it's like Italy, 40% of their gas from Russia, Austria, 80% of their gas, Germany, 55% of their gas in 2021. I cannot see how those countries can transition to other sources without there being a, a very, very large spike in prices and whether or not it's actually doable, whether they can replace that. For example, if you take oil, Saudi Arabia agreed that they would step up and produce more oil in order to plug the gap because the Russians have already started winding down their production because they have fewer buyers. And oil hasn't gone down in price. You know, the Saudis are pumping out more. And the reason it hasn't gone down is that people expected it. It's going to be a squeeze and it's going to uh, keep rising. And a knock-on effect of the price and supply issues then on the economy is the prospect of, of a recession. How likely is that at, at the moment? And what role is, is the fuel crisis playing in it? Yeah, I think the fuel crisis is obviously a big trigger for what looks like, uh, I think, could be uh, well be a recession. I think we're probably heading towards a recession, even in Ireland, if we technically avoid a recession under the definition, because our GDP figures are so high and sometimes removed from reality. I think we're heading towards something that's going to feel very much like a recession. The World Bank came out last night and said they they think that um, economic growth is going to soften around the world. And they also made a very dire warning where they said that it, it's, economic growth is going to underperform throughout the 2020s, you know, and this is only 2022. So they see higher costs and below average economic growth globally for the rest of the decade. Now, in Ireland, we're in a pretty good position relative to other countries. Uh, We sell a lot of pharmaceuticals, we sell a lot of IT, and we sell a lot of food. And those things are still going to be, you know, pretty, pretty heavily in demand. But if you throw into the mix the supply chain problems, the problems in China, the fact that interest rates are going to have to go up in order to tackle this rising inflation, and that's going to slow growth further, plus the energy part of this, I think it's very likely that we're going to see a downturn. But the only one thing I'd say, Finan, is that in Ireland, when you say downturn or recession, people automatically think back to 2008, which was a full-blown exchequer financial and property crash, like a one in 50, 60 year uh, event. I don't know that it's going to be that bad. We could easily have a real downturn uh, that lasts for a few years and it's painful for people and not for everybody, it doesn't necessarily mean, mean it's, it's as dire as what we had. At the same time, we, we continue to prioritize our, our climate targets. Are we, are we right in that regard to be pushing ahead on, on climate action? And are we outliers in that regard? Well, one of the things is that we're, we're outliers in our failure to deliver 
we've had lots of targets and we haven't actually delivered on them up to now. So it's that sense in government that we need to actually deliver that's making them want to continue in the face of rising costs, rising inflation and a possible downturn or recession. And I, I don't think that position will be tenable you know, if things really start to get very difficult. Now, you could argue it's not even that tenable now. But maybe one of the motivations for it vis-a-vis other countries, other countries have had climate targets and they've delivered or come very close to delivering. We've been an outlier in failing to actually deliver on. So it's all about intentions versus delivery. And just at a point when the government has said, no, 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 we are actually really serious about delivering this time. All this has happened. And I think that's why they've been a bit slow to uh, to respond. Uh, if we had a better track record, we could easily say, we're going to put this on hold. We've delivered before, we'll be able to deliver again. But because we've done so poorly, that's that's part of the, the thinking on it. But I, I, I don't think we'll be able to continue. Finally, Richard, uh, do you reckon people should start stockpiling? It's time to get out with and cut a bit of turf, collect a few a few twigs uh, down in the forest, and and get a get a store in place like the squirrels for the winter. Well, that kind of scenario, I, I always say, is kind of get a good lock for the gates and buy a gun. You know, uh, hopefully it won't come to that. You know, I don't think so. I think that if you look at the level of savings that households have here after COVID, there are people who are well able to ride this out financially, and there are people who are definitely not. And they're the ones that need the help. And whatever measures the government introduces, they need to go for targeted measures to help those people rather than blanket tax cuts. My thanks there to Richard Kern and earlier Ivan Murray. I'm Fiona Sheehan and today's episode was researched by JJ Clark, produced by Gareth Mulhall, recorded by Gavin Hennessy with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from independent.ie, RTE, IEA and CNN. And if you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.